Imagine losing your job and having to start over again from scratch. Imagine being in a job where you're successful and you're happy and you like what you're doing and it's gone. What do you do? How do you overcome that? How do you figure out what's next? That happened to a lady named Sean Baker in 2015. She worked for a, a company in the Houston area and her job was done away with and she lost it. But she did not let that slow her down. She created a new business from the ground up, literally. And what's interesting about this business is that it has become extremely popular. This business that she created is it's really kind of a weird setup. So it's, it's, it's in a building that has four rooms, and the four rooms are covered in plywood. And in these four rooms are old TVs, old microwaves, vacuum cleaners, basically inanimate objects. So people come to this business and they get the choice of using a golf club, a baseball bat, a sledgehammer, or a steel pipe. They put on protective gear and they go and they just start whacking. Talk about a stress reliever. For, for $25 to $50, they get 5 to 20 minutes just to let go of their frustration. Let go of the thing that has bent them up and is just worrying them. The name of her business, and I love the name of it, is called Tantrums. Tantrums. And I love the tagline, Relaxation After Devastation. And it's extremely popular. She is doing very well. There are people who are coming, and it's from every walks of life. And this was really interesting. So she's got mothers. She has businessmen, doctors, teachers. But the one that scared me on the list were the therapists. <laughs> well, I guess therapists need a relief too. So I was thankful that preachers weren't on the list. So, But the customers, they're thankful for the opportunity just to let out some frustration, let out some anxiety, let out some worry in a controlled environment. And so it's easy to understand why people are driven to a business like this, where they can relieve that frustration. But here's what I've learned in doing the research over the past week and a half here is anxiety is a real thing. Anxiety grips us in ways that we don't even see. It's, it's guesstimated that about 40 million adults are affected by anxiety. To put that in perspective, that's about 18% of the population deal with anxiety in some way, shape, or form. People with anxiety are three to four times more likely to go see the doctor than those who don't wrestle with anxiety. It's a serious thing. Now, there are clinical issues to anxiety. There are those that it's a clinical issue. But for others, think about the normal stress you deal with. You think about home. You think about work. You think about life. We think about those stresses. But let's add to the stress of home, work, and life. What about stress when it comes to money? What about worries in general? What about job stress? What about family conflict? How about traumatic events? What about addiction? 
What about caring for a loved one? These are all things that we deal with on top of the normal home, work, and life. And they can get the best of us. But then we think about what's going on in our world, what's going on in our country, what's going on in our communities. And that adds to that stress level, and it increases even more. And here's what I understand, and here's what I realize, that when we deal with these fears, we deal with these stresses, you know, we think smashing a microwave in a safe room is going to alleviate the problem. But the reality is that smashing stuff will not give us peace. Smashing things will not relieve the anxiety that we deal with. It's only by having a life in Christ because he sustains us. He helps us and gives us that peace we need. And I'm thankful that Christ, when he comes into our life, he gives us a peace we don't understand, a peace that helps us when we deal with anxiety. This morning we're talking about overcoming anxiety with peace. Take your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. This is our, our foundational passage for this series. And as we've been working through it, we're dissecting the different parts of this passage of scripture in comparison to what a Roman soldier would wear. But I want to look at verse 15 this morning in our time together. We understand, we have learned the word to stand when we face the enemy. We're not there to fight him. We're not there to run the word to stand. And we've learned to stand with that belt of truth. We've learned to stand putting on the breastplate of righteousness. But now we move to verse 15 and it says, In having sawed your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The New Living Translation puts it this way. For shoes put on peace that comes from good news so that you will be fully prepared. As we think about our Roman soldier this morning, the picture I've been showing you the last few weeks, the Roman soldier would have been wearing boots, but they're not the typical boots like we would wear. They're open-toed boots. But what makes these boots unique is that at the bottom of them were these grips. They were nail-studded underneath them. I can remember when I played baseball in high school, I made, I made varsity my sophomore year, never playing organized baseball in my life. And the only reason they picked me is because they were desperate. I know that's why they put me on the team. But my grandmother was so happy that I made the varsity baseball team that she ordered me a pair of steel spike cleats when they were still legal. They were really cool. They were cool because they made the worst noise on pavement whatsoever. But when you're playing in the field, it gave you a sure grip. You'd have to worry about sliding. You'd have to worry about slipping. Well, these soldiers, they would wear these nail-studded boots. And it was to give them grip so they could stand their ground when the enemy came forward. And weren't, they weren't wearing these for marching. They weren't wearing these for running. They wore these to stand their ground when they had hand-to-hand -hand combat. They stood their ground as they came against the enemy. For us as believers, here's the principle. Here's the idea. In hand-to-hand -hand combat, the first to lose their footing is the first to fall. When you lose your footing, you will slip and fall. So as a child of God, we put on this armor. This idea is to be able to stand firm. That's the call. 
but it's to be gripped into the ground so we can handle what's coming at us. Because when you're fighting and battling anxiety, it's like fighting that enemy in close combat. But it's combat that's taking place in your mind. And listen, if you are not prepared, you are going to be vulnerable to what Satan can do to you. If you have doubt, fear, hesitation, and even uncertainty, the devil sees that. And whatever the devil sees, he will use to his advantage. So if you're worried, you're stressed, the devil sees that and he has an opening because you're no longer sure-footed. But what if, what would happen instead of being fearful and vulnerable when the enemy saw you, he saw you as someone who is prepared and has strength within you? What if he saw in you certainty, he saw faith, he saw trust? What if the enemy, when he's standing face to face with you, He didn't see you cowering from this tough challenge. He didn't see you hiding because of your limitations. He saw someone standing strong in the peace that is found only in a relationship with Christ Jesus. Because when the enemy sees a person like that, he sees an overcomer. And that's what God has designed you to be. Listen, you're not perfect. You are not perfect. Invulnerable. You are not unaffected by life. We all deal with life. We all deal with stuff. But we're called to be strong, determined, and successful as a child of God. So we can overcome this worry, this anxiety with the peace that comes from Christ. Just like that Roman soldier is anchored and ready for the fight to come towards him. There's a peace that anchors our soul. It's a peace that only comes from God the Father. That no matter what troubles you face, uncertainties that are standing in front of you, you can stand your ground and face whatever whatever comes at you in this fallen world. So this morning, I want to look at this message from two sections, so bear with me this morning. For the first part of this message, I want to look at it through two distinct lenses when we think about peace. A couple of weeks ago, I had to get new glasses because I'm getting older. And some of you who are laughing are right there with me, so you you feel my pain. So I was a little tardy, Miss Vicky, in getting my last eye exam by like six months almost. Anyway, so I went to my eye doctor, and he did all the fun things he does to you when you go to eye doctor. And... He let me know that I'm 0.50 in this eye. I'm a solid one plus in this eye. I can see you all from there, but I can't see a thing on my book right now. But what happens is, so I have two distinct lenses on my glasses. But when I put them on, everything is seen clearly. These two lenses help us see what peace looks like and gives us a clear picture of that peace. Here's the first thing I want you to see. It's in your outline. The peace through Christ. Peace through Christ. The Bible teaches us over and over again that life apart from Jesus Christ has no deep peace. So when you and I place our trust in him, we put our faith in him. There's a change that takes place in our lives. Take your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 1 with me. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. 
Scripture says there, Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have, there's our word, peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot have peace apart from Jesus. He gives us the peace we read about here in chapter 5, verse 1, because of what he did on the cross for our sins. He chose to die on the cross for our sins. In doing so, he leaves us this legacy. He leaves us as beneficiaries. And we're responsible for living in light of this provision that God has given us through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is our peace. So when we do this, we know that Christ, and we know that in Christ there are and is no condemnation. So if you struggle with anxiety in life, you feel like your life is a battle right now, you understand and realize that God understands what you're dealing with. We worship and serve a God who's not off in the left field watching us from a distance. He's there with us, but he provides us a peace to cancel out the anxiety we're dealing with. But it's a peace from God, according to Scripture, that only comes through Jesus Christ. It's because of the gospel of peace. And it's the one thing you don't have to worry about losing when you're in this battle. You will not lose his love, his desires for you. In your darkest days, in your darkest nights, there is a God who gives you peace to handle what you are facing. He gives you a peace to handle what is coming at you. That's why I want to encourage you, and I want to tell you, take your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. A handful of verses to look at in the first half of this message, and then we'll camp out in some verses as we go this morning. But I want you to embrace what the Apostle Peter tells us about this peace through Christ. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. And this is this reminder as a child of God. This is a reminder that it's only through Christ dying for my sins and me believing he not only died for my sins but rose from the dead. And he's coming back again. I have access to this peace because it says there in verse 6 of 1 Peter chapter 5. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Verse 7, casting all your care upon him. Think about it. He doesn't say cast some. He doesn't say cast a few. He says take all your cares. Cast them upon him. Why? For he cares for you. Your father in heaven cares for you. He does not want you to carry around these worries. These anxieties. He wants us to hand them over to him. Because he loves us. And he cares for us. So it's a peace that comes through Christ, but there's another lens. There's a peace beyond understanding. A peace beyond understanding. On more than one occasion, Jesus told his disciples that there was a peace that would be available to them at all times. And that it was a peace that was capable of calming their hearts and encouraging them. And it's capable for me, and it's accessible for us, rather, to calm our hearts during those storms in our lives. It's a peace that can't be explained, but it's a peace we have access to. Take your Bibles, turn over to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. 
And I want to show you what Jesus said to the disciples as he speaks these words to them. John 14, verse 27. He simply says this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. He says, peace I leave with you. And it's a peace the world does not, and I promise you this, it's a peace the world will never understand apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ. But take your Bibles, turn over two chapters to John 16. John 16, because here's the reminder. Yes, there's a peace he gives us, but then Jesus goes on to say this to his disciples in John 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. But notice he doesn't stop there in the verse. He doesn't stop there. He says in that next part, in the world you will have tribulation. In other words, you will have problems. You will have worries. You will have things coming at you. You will have tribulation. But, there's the magic word. But, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus is telling the disciples, listen, you're going to have hard times. You're going to have problems. You're going to have tribulation. You're going to have troubles. But I have overcome the world. What's amazing about this section of Scripture when we look through the Gospel of John is Jesus is telling the disciples these words knowing that in a few short hours everything was going to be shattered because he's arrested, he's crucified, and he's laid in a tomb. But for us as a child of God, we know what happens three days later. But imagine being a disciple and he tells you about this peace that's available, this confidence you can have, this stability you can have in the middle of the storm. It's a peace that he offers. But notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus does not promise to remove the pain. He does not promise to remove the stress from daily living. Listen, we have troubles. And listen, you and I are going to have troubles until Jesus comes back. Plain and simple. You will have problems, you will have worries, you will have stress and everything that comes with it. And you're going to have it until either the day you leave this world or Jesus comes back. He doesn't promise us a simple life. He doesn't promise us an easy life. But we look at these two verses and we see what Jesus does offer us is something to calm us. Help us to be unafraid. Help us to have confidence because you and I have placed our lives in his hands. He has the control. That's the peace that comes from him. As long as you have that peace, there is nothing, there is not one thing that can harm your innermost being. What you have inside that relationship, there's nothing that will touch it because of the peace you have from him. It's because we have an intimate relationship with him. We have a connection with him. We have a peace despite our external circumstances. We have a peace that cannot be destroyed. Can we explain it? No. The world doesn't understand. There was a missionary 
who served over in Portugal right before World War I. As a matter of fact, he was preaching as a missionary in Portugal for almost 50 years. His name was Eric Barker. And he loved serving God. But as World War II was encroaching on that part of the world he was living in, he became worried about his wife and his children. So after talking to his wife, he made a decision to send his wife and his eight children, put them on a boat, and send them back to England. And not only did he send them, but he also sent his sister who was with them and her three children. So he takes them and puts 13 people that he cares about and he loves with all his heart. He puts them on a boat to send them to England for safety. The Sunday after they had left, he received a telegram right before church service. And he stood up and shared with the congregation these words. I've just received word that all my family has arrived safely home. As you can imagine, the congregation rejoiced. They were happy that his family had made it safely home. But what the congregation didn't realize is when the pastor, Brother Eric here, said safely home, he wasn't talking about home in England. The telegram had shared that he received informed him that the boat they were on was sunk by a German U-boat and nobody survived. When he said safely home, he wasn't talking about their earthly home. He was saying they were safely home in the presence of our Heavenly Father. That's a peace that the world can't explain. He gets this telegram and still preaches the good news of Jesus Christ. He shares grace and love. And it's afterwards the church learns about this. They learn, they see this peace. And for me personally, I have watched families experience this peace. I watched a family this past week lose a loved one. And they had a peace that only could come from God. Were there tears? Yes. Was there sadness? Yes. But they held on to that peace that only comes from a Heavenly Father that loves them. I've walked with a family that got a diagnosis that wasn't encouraging and saw peace in that family, even though they didn't understand the how, the why, or the where, or even the what if. There was a peace that came to them from our Heavenly Father to help them walk through these situations. Listen, the world looks at people like this who have this peace from the Father, who have these heavy burdens, and they wonder how do they do it? How can they be at peace knowing what's going on around them? How can they be at peace when they've lost a loved one? How can they be at peace when they hear the doctor say, you're terminal? The world does not comprehend it. But that's why we look at Paul's words and Paul simply says, that there's a peace that surpasses all understanding. So here's the question to think about this morning. Is it possible to experience peace when facing danger? The answer is yes. It is possible to face and have peace when you're facing danger, even in your darkest times, even when you know you're overwhelmed with the why question or the how question, even at that moment when you are facing death. You can have a peace that passes all understanding. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor 
and a theologian who was arrested because of his resistance against Hitler and against the Third Reich. He was in prison for two years. During those two years, he ministered to his fellow prisoners. He wrote letters to his family and friends. Those letters were smuggled out of the prison by sympathetic German soldiers. They later would be put into a book called Letters and Papers from Prison. I'm currently reading it right now. And here's what I see when I read these letters because it's, you're looking at a glimpse of a man who's in prison, not knowing the outcome, not knowing what's going to happen next. The fact that he was even able to write letters is amazing and receive letters from his family. But in those letters, here's what I see. I see a man devoted to prayer. I see a man devoted to scripture. A man who loved his family and cared for those who were around him. As I read these letters that were written, I read peace. I see hope. I see assurance. Nowhere in the letters do I see any worry or fear because of who he is in his walk with Jesus Christ. This is a man who's in prison. This is a man who doesn't know what's going to happen next. In April 1945, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was hanged for his crimes. A few days later, World War II was over. But he leaves this legacy. There was a British officer who was in prison with Dietrich. And this is what he said about Bonhoeffer. He said, Bonhoeffer, with all humility and sweetness, he always seemed to diffuse an atmosphere of happiness, of joy in every, every smallest event in life, and of deep gratitude for the mere fact that he was alive. He was one of the very few men that I have ever met to whom God was real and close to him. This British officer saw God in Dietrich Bonhoeffer by his attitudes, his action, and the peace he had not knowing what was coming next. In his letters, he tells his family that he does not fear death. He, he's not worried. He's not scared because of his assurance, his hope he has through Jesus Christ. And I did not put this in your outline, but I'm going to make a statement that I, want to, I would encourage you to write down in your notes this morning. Simply this. When we have made peace with God and have the peace of God in our lives, we can hold our ground and overcome any assault by our enemy. Notice that it's a twofold statement here. It's have made peace and have peace of God in our lives. It's two parts because here's the issue. There is a gap between those who have made peace with God and those who have the peace of God. There is a huge gap. And they don't see this as one and the same. And here's why there's a gap. And here's the issue. It's because there are people who believe that because they know Jesus Christ, because they read their Bible, because they know the Holy Spirit's in them, and because Scripture says all things have been made new, they think they're immune to the pressures of life. They think that because they're a believer, the troubles have been removed rather than living a life that's joyful in spite of what's coming at them. Listen, you and I face the pressures of life every day. 
Think about it. When you and I struggle with life, we find things to try to help us. And the problem is we don't go to God's word. We don't come to him in prayer. Instead, we'll turn to money. We'll turn to certain relationships. We'll turn to alcohol. We'll turn to... uh, Listen, you and I will go find a place like tantrums to go break stuff. Because we are so overwhelmed. But none of those remedies work. They're temporary. And you're left even with more anxiety and more fear. And for the believer, I believe... You're also left with despair and guilt because you know who the source of your peace is, but you're not turning to him. I told you there are two lenses to see peace. It's peace through Christ and it's a peace that surpasses everything around us. So for my last few minutes here, I plan to be quick and you know that I'm halfway telling the truth when I say that. But here's what I do for the last part of this this message. Remember when you were in English class? I know everybody loved the English class. Remember when you had to read a section in a book and the teacher said, I need you to tell me the who, what, when, where, why, and how? This is what we're going to look at when we understand how do we have peace? What does that peace look like? And how do we handle it in our lives? So let's dive into it. Here's some questions I want you to think about under that who, what, when, where, why, and how scenario. Here's the first question. How are you praying? How are you praying? The most highlighted verse, according to Kendall, the most highlighted verse in the Bible is Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. That is the most highlighted verse, according to Kendall. And this is what Paul says about anxiety. Listen to what Paul says. And I would encourage you to go and turn to Philippians chapter 4 because we're going to be here for just a little bit. But I want you to see that there is a remedy for the anxiety. There is a remedy for the stress that we're dealing with. Philippians chapter 4, 6 through 7 simply says this. Be anxious for nothing But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In this passage, the word, when it says be anxious for nothing, the word anxious literally means being pulled in two different directions. It's like you're having this war internally and your spirit is going left and right, being pulled this way and that way. Can I share some free advice with you this morning? It's really easy. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. Think about that for a moment. If it's big enough to worry about, it is big enough to pray about. Yet too many times we'd rather worry and not pray. We'd rather figure out how to handle it instead of going to the one who can help us walk through it. So that leads to my question. How are you praying? Listen, I'm not asking if you're praying because if you're anxious, you're praying. But I'm not asking if you're clasping your hands, if you're bowing your head, if you're standing, you're sitting, you're kneeling. Those are not the questions I'm asking But when you and I face stress, when we face trouble in our lives, there are two kind of prayers we can be praying. The first one is a progressive prayer. We pray progressively. Here's what tends to happen, and we're all guilty of this. 
We're dealing with a pressure. We're dealing with stress. We run to God and we say, hello. And then we say, I need this, 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 and that. I need it today, tomorrow, and last week. That's how we approach our prayer life. We get such in such a hurry that we forget what we're supposed to do when we enter into his presence. We have this tendency to rush to God, talk about our problems. And when we talk about our problems, we find ourselves so overwhelmed and more overwhelmed than we were when we started. And we're even more stressed out. So how do we pray progressively? Let me give you four little steps real quick. Number one, adoration. When you come into God's presence, you put that prayer list to the side and worship him. Thank him for who he is. Thank him for what he does, the things we see, the things we don't see. Thank him that he allowed you to open your eyes this morning. Thank him that he allowed you to feel that strong gust of wind when you came in the front doors this morning. Thank him for who he is. That is adoration. But we move from adoration to confession. So we praise him for who he is, but then we confess the sin we're wrestling with in our lives. We confess where we have fallen short of his glory. We confess where we're stumbling. We confess where we're struggling and give it to him. So we give adoration. We praise him. We confess our sins. Then we go to thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. We simply say thank you for what he's done. We say thank him for his love, his grace, his mercy. We thank him for anything and everything. Then we move to supplication. It's at this point we start sharing our needs. And listen, I want to tell you right now, when you're praying to God, be specific. Does God know what you need? Yes. But he needs to hear it from your lips. Be specific. Knowing that God answers in his time and in his way. But that's how we pray progressively. But we also have to be proactive in prayer. We pray progressive, but we also are proactive. And here's what I mean by that. It's that we learn to pray in advance for what's coming. We learn to pray and ask for strength for the things we may be facing. Prayer shouldn't be the last resort. It should be the very first thing you do when you know trouble is around the corner. When you know it's coming, you start praying. You don't wait till you're in the midst of the storm and then say, Hey, God, by the way, could you help me out here? No, you pray progressive because you know it's right around the corner. When you and I are dealing with these things, it's a, it's a tendency we want to be anxious, we want to be stressed, we want to feel the pressure. But that's when we come to God and thank Him for the strength that we don't have. We thank Him to be ready for the things that we see coming and even the things we don't see. So that's that question when I ask it, how are you praying? But here's my next question. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? Look with me in verse 8 of Philippians chapter 4. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue... If there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Paul gives us a list that tells us exactly what we need to be thinking about. And it's clear and it's direct. 
Think on things that are praiseworthy. Our mind should be saturated with God's truth. And we learn from Him how to handle the stress. We see things from His perspective. When you and I face trouble, we direct our thoughts to the Father who loves and cares for us. That's where true wisdom comes from. By trusting the one who's in control. When you don't have control. There was a man who was on a flight. It was a rather long flight. And about an hour into the flight, the captain came over to the intercom and said those words that every passenger dreads. Ladies and gentlemen, please put in your seatbelts. I'm asking the cabin crew to suspend beverage services. We're fixing to enter in some turbulence. And they, it, listen, nobody likes turbulence on a plane. You know why? You're not in control. We don't like turbulence. So the man in this story is on a plane and they got turbulence. He said the plane went up, down, left, right, sideways, and backwards. And as they're dealing with turbulence, and it lasted for a solid 35, 40 minutes. I'd already lost my mind, I'm telling you right now. He looks over to the seat next to him, and there's this little girl who's reading a book. She's sitting crisscrossed applesauce in her seat, not a care in the world. Everybody else in the plane is making deals with God. And this little girl's just sitting there. Well, eventually they got to the turbulence, the tr- uh, Thank you, I can't say it now. Brave one best. The plane lands, and as they're debarking the plane, getting off it, the man looks to the girl and says, Can I ask you a question? How were you so calm during the turbulence? How were you so calm when the plane was shaking and doing all these things? And listen to what the little girl said to this man My daddy is the pilot, he's taking me home. I didn't worry because I knew he was in the cockpit. The little girl didn't worry because she knew who was flying the plane. She knew who had the controls of the plane no matter what the plane was experiencing. For you and for me, when we are in the middle of those storms, we need to set our minds on the one who is at the controls, our heavenly Father. And when you and I set our thoughts on his, you and I can rest assured that he's going to take us home. He's going to get us to where we need to get to. That's why in Isaiah 26.3 we read these words. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. That answers the question, what are you thinking? Here's the next one. Who are you following? Who are you following? When you and I are dealing with anxiety, we can't think about just what's right, what's good, what's true. It sometimes means we have to have someone show us the way. Look at verse 9 in Philippians chapter 4. These things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul is telling the church... In Philippi, take these lessons I've taught you, put them into practice, and do them. And if you put into practice what I've showed you, then the peace of God will be with you. Listen, if you're dealing with anxiety, you surround yourself with people who've walked through those times and have come through because God has led them through. You surround yourself with people who've walked those hard times that you may be facing. 
We don't walk away from the anxiety. We don't walk away from the stress because sometimes we've got to walk through no matter what. And that path is dark. And that path can feel lonely. That's why you surround yourself with people who have walked it before. I've said this before. I know what it's like to lose a brother. And I can walk that road with you. I know what it's like to lose an in-law. I can walk that road with you. But there are certain roads I can't walk because I haven't experienced those things. But I know that in my life, when I've experienced certain situations and, and certain hardships, I have found people who have walked that same road to walk alongside me. And that's what Paul is telling the church. That's what he's reminding us as believers. He says, take what you've learned, take what you've heard, take what you've received, and you hold on to it. And you saw it. And he's also said in that verse, you saw in me. Don't take, don't take just what you heard and what you learned. Take what you saw in my actions. And then the peace of God will be with you. Here's the next question. Moving forward. Where are you living where are you living? We've looked at the how, we've looked at the what, we've looked at the who. Now we've got to get to the where. So here's the question. Where do your thoughts take up shop? Where do your thoughts tend to stay? In the past, in the present, or in the future? Take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. Jesus, in this section of Scripture, verses 25 through 34, he's talking about how not to worry. This is a good section of Scripture to really hold on to when you're dealing with stress and anxiety. But you get down to verse 34, and look what Jesus says to those who are listening to him on the day he shares this. He says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What Jesus is telling us here is you don't think about the past because the past is a memory. You don't think about the future because it's an imagination. You worry about the present because the present has enough trouble on its own. So why do we ruin those moments by allowing trouble to pull us to the past or pull us to the future? So how do we have peace every day? It's by trusting God and receiving his peace. Listen, one day at a time. I can't take his peace from yesterday and put it to the day. And I can't pay, take his peace from tomorrow and bring it over to the day. Every day has enough trouble on its own. But it's every day you ask for that peace that only comes from our Heavenly Father. Because the past is a memory in the future is imagination. But today is right here. That's why scripture says be anxious for nothing today. Jesus told, tells us not to worry about tomorrow. Because he's echoing truth that we find in Deuteronomy 33.25. As your days, so your strength shall be. As your days, so your strength shall be. Deuteronomy 33.25. So where are you living? Are you living yesterday, tomorrow, or today? Here's the last question. When will you find 
peace. When will you find peace? Some of you have seen this picture that's on the screen behind me. It's known as the Napalm Girl. Taken during the Vietnam War. Her village was along a a flight path that was napalmed. And because of that chemical, it literally burned all the clothes she was wearing off her and left her scarred. That's the reason why I covered that picture. The photographer who took that picture, he took the photo and immediately took his camera down, put his camera down the ground and grabbed that girl and took her to a hospital where she stayed for months recovering from her burns. The young girl's name is Kim Pok Thun Hai. She had dreams of becoming a doctor and she wanted to go to school to be a doctor but her country wanted to use her as a poster child to talk about the effects of what she experienced in war. She got to a point where she was searching for peace. So she goes to the library in Saigon and she goes to the religious section and starts pulling off books. And in the books she's pulling, she happens to pull a New Testament off the shelf. She starts reading these books because for the longest time her parents had been praying to a God known as Cha Da, who is a family, is a family religion that they believed in, praying for healing with no answers coming. So Kim is going to the religion section of the library to find peace. She reads through these books. She finally gets to that New Testament. As she's reading the New Testament, she's reading the Gospels, and she is gripped by the suffering of Jesus Christ who bore our sins on the cross. She reads about what Jesus Christ had done for her. On Christmas Eve 1982, Kim gave her life to Christ. Because the message she heard preached that day was about the Prince of Peace. And it's a message that transformed and changed her life. She found peace. She found joy. A few years later, she'd get married and she immigrated to Canada. She reconnected with the man who took that photo. And she now calls him Uncle Nick. And they talk once a week. This man who saved her. Kim has gone on and she has discovered her purpose. Her purpose is to heal others through the love and peace of Jesus Christ. And this is what Kim looks like today. And she is sharing the gospel of peace with those that she sees. She's sharing the love that she's received in knowing Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior because she found the peace of God. My question for you this morning is simply this. Will you find the peace of God? Will you find this peace? It's when you understand the how, the what, the who, the where, that you make peace, his peace, your priority. It's when you're praying. It's about what you're thinking. It's about who you're following. It's about who, where your thoughts are living at the moment. When you embrace these things we've talked about this morning, you become an overcomer who's told anxiety to take a back seat because you're living in a peace only found through the Father in a relationship through His Son. This morning, you can experience this peace if you don't know Him. But you will only have peace, listen, 
You will only have the peace we've talked about this morning by having a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you will never experience peace. And your life is going to be miserable. That sounds so harsh to say, but it's true. Apart from Jesus Christ, you will have no peace. So this morning, where are you going to find that peace? And will you find peace in God? Every head bowed and every eye closed. In just a moment, John Owen's going to lead us in a familiar hymn, I need thee every hour.